Hello and welcome to the F word. The F word, of course, stands for front end, the wonderful world of web development. I'm Vadim McKeith. And I'm Bruce Lawson, coming to you from Birmingham, UK. And where are you these days, Vadim? Well, at my apartment for a month already. Yeah, I'm, I'm in St. Petersburg, Russia. Excellent. So this is uh, Entente Cordiale of web podcasts. So let's kick straight in. Uh, I don't know if you've heard, Vadim, but there's this thing called COVID-19 going around. Do you know, actually, I had a really interesting, I heard a really interesting podcast about mental health and COVID uh, by the president of the Flat Earth Society. <laughs> Apparently, they're, re they're really worried that social distancing is going to push people over the edge. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, <laughs> talking of COVID, uh, there's been a few blog posts going around recently about the importance of resilience. You know, uh, now that we're all doing work at home and so over the web, or we're getting information or collaborating over the web, it's as important now as it's ever been um, that websites be you know, lean and mean so you everybody can access them and access them fast and be accessible. Of course, these things have always been important, but they're particularly important now. And a good friend of mine from Birmingham, a guy called Matthew Somerville, wrote a really interesting blog post uh, about coronavirus.data.gov.uk, which is a website that the government here in Britain released um, to allow scientists, journalists, and other interested parties to get information about the COVID pandemic. Um, and he noticed that it was basically just vomiting loads of JSON and JavaScript down the wire, uh, which then, you know, old, old framework thing had to be assembled, parsed, executed, and then a DOM assembled. So Matthew being Matthew spent a few hours to remake this website using good old fashioned semantic HTML, CSS, and JavaScript to enhance it. So the graphs are still interactive and it's a fraction of the size and it loads in a fraction of the time. Um, but he wrote a really great blog post about how to do this, which you'll find in the show notes. And I advise everybody to have a look because it's it's really interesting. I was really surprised to see the actual source code of this site uh, available on GitHub. So people could actually go there and uh, see how it works and uh, propose some changes even, uh, or maybe improve some things. Uh, you don't have to reverse engineer it in the browser, so you can actually help uh, government to, to, to make better websites and services. Don't they do that in, uh, in Russia? They usually pay some company huge amount of money. They uh, hire another company for 10% uh, of it, and they steal the rest of it. So that's how things work in Russia. It's not on GitHub, in short. <laughs> <laughs> well, weirdly, um, a previous government of the UK, a, a right-wing government, and I'm not usually a fan of right-wing governments, but we had a cabinet secretary called Francis Maud, and he basically hired loads of great people from our industry to work in something called government digital services. And by cajoling, begging, um, constructing arguments that you couldn't defeat, managed to persuade all the different government departments to let them uh, unify all of the government services under the domain gov.uk. Uh, the source code is all on GitHub. 
and there are design systems about accessibility, internationalization, usability, etc. And and basically now in the UK, everything's public, everything's open source unless there's a demonstrable reason why it shouldn't be. Uh, you can't make a native app unless you can show that the web cannot do this. Stuff that government buys should be open source unless it isn't available except proprietary and source code should be put on github so if your nice mr putin wants he's he's welcome to fork gov.uk and make gov.ru and hire you and you can stick some nice css on it and charge him 20 million rubles yeah it's it's in your case it sounds like communism like really like everything open and free for everyone it's wow <laughs> but I, th I thought your Mr. Putin worked for the communists. Ah, uh, well, he used to in his youth. <laughs> ah. But yeah, have a read of of the um, coronavirus.data.gov.uk blog post, folks, because there's lots of actionable things you can do there. And then looking at the wider discussion, another friend of Matthew and mine called Stuart Langridge, also in Birmingham, moved to Birmingham, folks. It's where the web happens in the UK. Uh, Stuart Langridge wrote a really nice blog post called Hammer and Nails. And you said you really liked the analogy, Vadim. Do you want to talk us through what Stuart wrote? Well, first, I was really surprised to see that Gantu is a penguin. I had no idea what Gantu is. Uh, and uh, yeah, <laughs> that was well, not only is it a penguin. Well, yeah, it's it's an operating system. It's like distribution of Linux. And what's what's the point behind this post? That uh, by serving uh, everything client side like uh, this uh, coronavirus uh, data website did, we're basically asking our users to uh, compile everything uh, on installation, and not only uh, once, but every time they load our website. Basically, what again to does when you want to install an application, it downloads the source code and it compiles somewhere in the background. Theoretically, you can change the compilation process and uh, uh, do something else with your software. But a small amount of people actually does it. Basically, you're spinning your laptop uh, fans for nothing because you can just download ready-made binary from their servers. So this uh, Gentoo approach is what's happening uh, these days on the web with those single-page applications. Every time a client or user loads your website, basically you're doing this Gentoo thing, which is unnecessary in most cases. Stuart is uh, a flame-haired FOSS Adonis. He used to work for Canonical, who make Ubuntu. Oh. Um, he consistently tells me off because I run a Mac rather than a Linux box. <laughs> and he, he's a huge Linux fan, but even he says, you know, even most Linux fans think the Gentoo bunch are um, sort of slightly crazy because they want to uh, compile everything from source code. But yeah, but they compile it once and then they've got, a self-compiled binary on their machine uh, by sending down a metric shit ton of React stroke Angular to everybody's client. You're making them compile it every time they go to your website, uh, which, as Matthew Somerville showed, 
isn't the most performant approach. But let's take a step back. If your interface is highly dynamic, it consists of data and uh, data is changing all the time, it probably makes sense to to build some, some sort of a shell and then fill it with data and it will be rendering on the fly and uh, mm-hmm. making your interface. Uh, it probably a good a good fit for, for such interfaces. Yes, but most websites are not that. Going back to the coronavirus data site, even their about page took 20 seconds to load or something like that because it's just text. And it, but even so, that was all compiled on the fly. As for static text pages or some sort of landing pages for your website, it's definitely not required to have everything based on React. But, you know, as every developer wants the same technology used everywhere, it probably makes your life easier. So you start every project with the same uh, Create React app package or something like this, and uh, it's easier for you to write code because you're using this same approach over and over again. And it's easier for you to uh, hire people these days, probably, if your uh, project uh, featuring uh, React as 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 the main technology behind it, and uh, yeah, maybe maybe the battle is lost already. What do you think? Uh, is it is it something that we have to deal with, and uh, we have to optimize uh, those single page um, uh, applications instead of trying to yell at those developers and uh, say like, get, let's get back to good old HTML. It feels to me like the pen. I mean, it's it, it's a pendulum, isn't it? It's, it's I think feels to me like it's starting to swing the other way. Even even Dan Abramov of React said, you know, we need to sort of rethink our approach. The vast majority of normal websites, you know, not these highly dynamic things that you mentioned. Yeah, yeah. and it's always good fun to shout at developers. I'm not going to stop. On the subject of resilience and doing things the right way, my chum, Adrian Rosselli, had a good point. A lot of people argue that they don't need to have an accessible website because people can go into a physical shop and buy whatever it is they need. But in these unprecedented times, of course, physical shops are shut. So if your only presence is on the web... Where does that leave your defense that you don't need an accessible website? I don't know, because I've committed many terrible acts in my life, but at least I'm not a lawyer. So uh, I don't know what the answer is, but in the US, where I think there is like a, a an ADA lawsuit every few minutes on average against inaccessible websites, I'd be wondering wondering what the legal situation would be if my website were inaccessible inaccessible, and that were people's only way to do business with me. Yeah, I think uh, there's something, uh, there's a saying in Russia, you can only know a person in the time of crisis or something like this, really know mm-hmm. someone. And it also, uh, interesting uh, situation here, let's say there's a restaurant and uh, usually it's uh, 100% like or 90% offline. Basically, you can go there, order your food, wait for it to be delivered on your table, and yeah, just enjoy it. Uh, these days, I do not go crazy 
not to cook too much at, at home. I usually or and also help some small restaurants uh, in my area. I order food from them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes I go to pick it up myself. Sometimes I order delivery. And um, only d- during this crisis, they realize that their, their, the quality of their website actually matters. So it's not enough uh, to publish PDF or Excel with prices. You have to actually build the decent interface so so the, the, the audience could actually uh, see what they're ordering and uh, they, they could actually load your web page. It, it, so it wouldn't be like a white text on white background and like 10 megabytes <laughs> background image that makes it readable. Uh, it's interesting times. You can actually see what's behind and how good their websites were. It makes a difference now for some uh, companies, for some restaurants, for some uh, small businesses. It's just a matter of surviving if their website is good. They have to invest in it somehow, or maybe it will improve the quality of uh, small businesses' websites in the future once we, once this uh, pandemic situation is over. You know, we, we're just desperately trying to, to find something good that will comes out of this situation. Mm-hmm. Maybe it will make something better on the web. I don't know. I don't know. But uh, yeah, that, the old Russian proverb, folks, you don't know the man till the shit hits the fan. And <laughs> that's, that's Chekhov, that. Isn't that from the cherry orchard? Or is it... Uh... Uh, something like this. Most of my life, I've been using HTML spec to just check the list of HTML tags and see what's the rules of using HTML tags and is there any good example of using, I don't know, marquee tag. But a couple of years ago, I started using uh, HTML spec to, to check if it's allowed to nest one element into the other. And uh, as a developer with like 15 years of experience of using HTML, I don't usually need an answer to this question. I somehow know what could go where I wouldn't uh, nest H1 into a paragraph. But a couple of years ago, I had no idea why. It would just feel wrong to me. Is it similar to you, Bruce? It is, yes. You, you sort of develop a gut feeling about them uh, without really knowing the rules. Kind of in the same way as, you know, I don't have to think... Hmm, I'm talking about an event that started in the past but is still continuing, therefore I will use the present perfect tense. It's sort of HTML is like a native language to us. By God, listeners, we're so clever. Oh, yeah. But um, I thought that uh, the only uh, thing that could go wrong when your nest elements wrong way is HTML validator saying that you're a naughty boy and uh, giving you some errors and mistakes uh, and warnings. But uh, it wasn't like that. I realized that some elements break the nesting and they jump out of improper nesting. I'm still figuring out the actual uh, um, list of elements that would jump out of wrong nesting. But the thing is, it could actually break your interfaces and could break your accessibility because there will be uh, not that list of elements you would expect to check what elements you could actually nest into the other element, you can uh, you can go to the spec, to the description of an element, and there are a number of fields, and two of them are important in, in our case. 
The first one is category. For example, P element, paragraph, it listed in two categories. It's flow content and palpable content. I'm still not sure what palpable content is, and it's not relevant in our case, but the most important is that it's flow content. And its content model is phrasing content. Basically, content model means that you can nest phrasing content into a paragraph. And category means that paragraph could be nested into flow content context uh, into the other element that has content model of flow. For example, P elements content model is phrasing content. If you want to nest H1, you have to check the category of the H1 tag. And uh, it's flow content as well. And it's also heading and it's also palpable. So it's not phrasing. So by putting uh, H1 into P element, you will get problems, at least with validator. But not only that, it will jump out of P. For example, you have some text and then heading and then another part of text. So you'll have paragraph opened and closed, then you'll have heading element, and then you'll, ha you'll have the second paragraph opened and closed. Basically, you'll have three elements on one level instead of two elements, one nested into the other. If you wrap your heading into a link and you'll nest it into paragraph, you'll have much worse situation. You'll have some weird empty tags uh, lying around and uh, yeah, it might be a big problem because some parts of your interface could become uh, links without your intention. So it's a big problem. And um, it seems like the problem is serious enough and the, the, the way you could actually check if your elements are allowed to be nested is uh, checking the actual rendering in the browser. Uh, and it's a good thing that browsers uh, these days actually render HTML by the spec. So they do it in the same way. You can check your browser rendering. You can put your web page uh, into HTML validator. But uh, HTML validator, um, apparently it's not up to date with uh, actual uh, what WG spec. So in some cases you will get uh, some uh, errors which are not errors because according to spec. So it's not unfortunately up to date, but they're, I think they're getting there every time um, they, they introduce some updates. One day they, they'll probably be compatible, 100% compatible with the current spec, but it's really hard to do because it's evergreen. It's a living standard. Maybe it was easier uh, back in the W3C times. But uh, since it could actually break your interface, I think that there should be an easier way to, to check if some elements could be nested or not. And there is one. Some developer I know, he used to be a student in HTML Academy. He built a service uh, called Can I Include? Something like Can I Use? But Can I Include in this case? Uh, there are two fields and that's it. That's the whole interface. You, you put child tag name and you put parent tag name in a second field. How it works, it parses HTML HTML specification and uh, not every time in the browser, but I think it's it's pre-parsed. Uh, it parses HTML specification and it builds a table of all elements and uh, their their content models and their categories and it, it compares. So it does it for you. That's pretty good, and it's also worth noting that these things do change. I think only recently there was a change to allow a heading element by which I mean H1 to H6, inside a legend element. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because people were asking for it. It, do, it, it works the same in each browser. It was just not allowed according to spec, so they changed the spec. 
I think there are at least three cases of proper or improper nesting. In first case, it's just not allowed by the spec and a validator will say that you're doing something wrong. Uh, for example, if you nest paragraph into an ordered list, for example, it will just stay there, but you'll do the wrong thing according to the spec, according to validator. Here's another example. If you put address tag into paragraph, which I tried to do uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, it, it will... Come on, I thought it's phrasing content. That's the... I thought it's some sort of span or, or something because, yeah, I know, I'm, I'm stupid. But still, uh, I tried to do this and it, it just jumped out of paragraph and, and my paragraph became two paragraphs and uh, with a address tag in the middle. So uh, the second case, it's when the, they jump out. It's like oil and water. You cannot mix <laughs> them sort of thing. And there's another case you mentioned uh, when uh, everything works fine and it's just a uh, edge case that never, no one ever thought of. Uh, for example, this uh, H into, in the legend tag or uh, I remember another another um, change in the spec when they allowed div element inside of definition list. Ah, yes. You can actually group your uh, DTs and DDs into a group by div element. So it wasn't allowed, it wasn't jumping out, but it wasn't valid. So these days it's it's totally fine, both in browsers and according to a validator and the spec itself. So there are use cases when they change it, but I don't think they're planning, well, at least I hope they're not planning to introduce changes in this jumping uh, algorithm because it might break some websites. And I would really like to know uh, how what's, what's the list of tags that will jump out because I don't see it anywhere in the spec. May, well, it's huge but I haven't read through the, the whole spec looking for it, but I tried to look for some, some words and uh, some parts of it, but I haven't, I haven't found the, the rule of jumping out. I don't know. There, there should be a section like jumping text or something like this. Have you checked doesitjump.com? <laughs> I, sh I should, yeah, I should, <laughs> I should register this domain. <laughs> I think, I, I don't know that there's a list, but it's a function of the HTML5 parser, isn't it, that will decide whether... Yes, yeah, so it, sh it should be described in the, in the spec, but I, I haven't found the part of it. We'll have to send a tweet to Tab Atkins, but I'll do it, Vadim, because when Tab hears this and realizes that you don't know what palpable content is, he's going to unfollow you. It's it's the this this weird category that doesn't really matter if you think about it. I, I've I've read the description of palpable content. It it makes sense, but it doesn't matter in my daily workflow. And it's 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 just there. I don't know. Maybe it matters for someone, but I I still struggle to understand uh, what it's for. Oh, I've got no idea at all. No idea. <laughs> I understood when things were out of the block or in line, but now, no, it's like naughty content, jumping content, <laughs> palpable content. Oh, yeah. I actually remember the fourth use case. It's when the, the uh, content model of an element is transparent. For example, a link. If you nest something inside of link, mm -hmm. there's no way to check if it's okay or not because uh, link got this whatever content model. So uh, you have to ask the outer element if it's possible to, to nest something. Mm -hmm. Basically, if you have link around your H1 element, is it, is it fine or not? Who knows? 
until you check the uh, the outer element. If it's paragraph, it's not allowed to have uh, h1 nested into link that's nested into paragraph. If it's something like article or section element or just body, it's, it's fine. And then there's things like um, ints and del, which can uh, be block level, in inverted commas, or in line depending on how you want uh, that's that's the other idea that that's gone from the current version of the spec there's there's no block and inline elements mm -hmm. anymore i think the last time they they used those terms it was html 4.1 or something mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. if someone would tell you those elements cannot be nested because one of them is block and one of them is in line don't listen to them because it's it's an old idea uh, so basically, so basically, you have to check content model and uh, category of attack in, instead of trying to remember what's the default display value um, in in the browser. Yeah, I mean they were presentational because yeah, yeah, it, yeah. it was about how they get displayed in a browser, and not a lot of people know this, but all elements are in line by default. Oh. So without browser style sheets, they are in line. Exactly. Oh, I didn't know that. Exactly. It's in the CSS spec. So everything's in line unless otherwise declared as either display none for things like uh, title and meta char set and things. Or they're, um, you know, defined as block. So yeah, uh, dear listeners, please uh, check if your HTML is valid. I think it's the it's the easiest way to check if your nested your elements properly otherwise if you see some elements jumping out you'll know why it's not just a dark some black magic it's it's actual spec <laughs> uh, saying those elements what to do yeah i mean although we have the html5 parser which means that every browser is going to give you the same dom from your markup validation still is a really useful debugging aid Okay, so recently, Auntie Rachel, or Rachel Andrew, as many people know her, wrote a blog post called Does Masonry Belong in the CSS Grid Specification? The reason for this is that Firefox has an experimental implementation behind a flag of an extension to the CSS Grid spec, which allows masonry layout. If you don't know what masonry layout is, go and look at Pinterest. If you do know, don't go and look at Pinterest because it's rubbish. Developers want to do masonry layouts. Developers want to do lots of mad things, and they should be allowed to do them. So it's good news that this has been implemented, and it was a really well-thought-out suggestion from Mads Palmgreen, whoever he is, on the GitHub repo where things, such things are discussed. Rachel asks, does masonry belong in CSS Grid? Or does it belong in flex? Uh, I'm unusually, for me, not particularly ideological about this. It doesn't matter to me whether it's in grid or flex. Uh, it just matters to me that we have the ability, and it looks like we're going to have the ability. And it's it's good that we haven't had to invent a new display model. So it's not display colon masonry. It's an extension to the existing CSS grid spec. Vadim. How many masonry layouts have you done for Mr. Putin recently? Not, not a single one. But I, in 2013, I did my last 
uh, masonry layout. I, I remember it exactly because I did it for Opera website. It was devopera.com and it's still up and running based on uh, Jekyll, I believe, mm -hmm. and it's hosted on GitHub, so you can go and check. Uh, it's funny to see that it's still it's still up, and the latest artist article published is uh, June 16th, 2016, <laughs> by Andreas Bovens and Bruce Lawson. <laughs> is it really? Good Lord. Yeah, yeah. well, well, they, they still publish uh, once in a while some updates on Opera uh, Chromium engine, but otherwise... Nothing's going on, but uh, on the I designed and built this website back in 2013, and I used masonry layout on the main page. Main page is full of uh, recent articles, like small previews and some pictures, uh, some text, and so it's like three-column layout. I tried to use multi-column layout for this, mm -hmm. and it was totally fine. But I realized that the, uh, that implementations in in Safari and and Chrome are buggy, and uh, sometimes I would get two or three hundred pixel gap out of nowhere at the bottom of the multi-column list. So I thought, yeah, I need I need some other way. Plus, uh, if you use multi-column layout and the content goes down the first column, and only then it gets to the second one. Mm -hmm. If your content is is very long, you, you want to probably feature the latest articles on top. So you'll, you'll need uh, some sort of different order. Mm -hmm. So I implemented this uh, masonry layout script. I think it's based on multi-column layout. But when uh, the page loads, it applies some JavaScript magic and, and it becomes the tru truly masonry layout. Basically what it does, it replaces uh, some some elements and it rearranges those elements. And it's a really clever script and it was a really nice thing to do and easy thing to do. I, I don't think it, it impacts the rendering too much. Yeah, it was a nice thing to do and I never never even dreamed of having something like this native. And recently I, I went to uh, Rachel Andrews and uh, Jan Simmons demos and I enabled this uh, this flag in Firefox Nightly. That's my main browser these days. And uh, I was really surprised to see how well it works in, in grid layout. But uh, then I thought I should probably go deeper because they have like huge discussion going on in in uh, CSSWG uh, repository on GitHub. And it's, it started on uh, January 6th uh, from the actual proposal uh, by Matt Palmgreen and it's still going on. I think the latest uh, comment is uh, posted yesterday by a friend of mine, Ilya Strelzin. Uh, he's, he's from Belarus and he's active uh, part of this discussion. Uh, even Eric Meyer said, hmm, you convinced me. <laughs> I was wrong at some point. So Ilya is, is, is doing well. <laughs> yeah, and um, I think I agree with, uh, with Rachel and Fantasy and some other people uh, on this thread that it definitely does not belong into multi-column spec. It does not belong into grid layout. It could be hacked into Flexbox, but it's also might be a problem. It's quite different. So it probably makes sense to make display masonry. That would be a nice thing to do. And I really, I really like that the Firefox did this Chrome thing, shipped something without asking anyone and disabled it by default. Mm -hmm. It's not like they didn't know how to discuss things without actual implementation in CSSWG. Uh, it's not like it was necessary, but it was necessary to promote it uh, among developers 
to force them to test it and think about it. And it was really, really helpful for the discussion. So it started in January and it stopped. And then after Firefox implementation, it started over again. And it's, it's, really, it's really going somewhere. They're going to uh, decide soon on, on the next CSS working group meeting or somewhere later this year how it's going to be implemented. I have no idea what it's going to be, but probably grid level three or masonry layout level one or something like this. But I would really like to see it uh, shipping uh, to, to browsers. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll put the link to Rachel's article and the CSS working group discussion in the show notes. But for those of you who have time and inclination, the CSS working group would really like to know what you think. So give it a whirl and tell him Vadim sent you because he was implementing masonry layouts seven years ago, folks. That's just how ahead of the curve the man is. Oh, yeah, with JavaScript, right? Talking of trendsetters, let's talk about the Spice Girls. Vadim, (laughs) tell me what you want, what you really, really want the web to do next because stephanie steimack and aaron gustafsson have been asking developers about the web they want oh i think i want so many things so it's mm-hmm. really hard to hard to pick one most of the things i would love to see uh, related not to the web or specs uh, themselves but rather to browsers implementing so cross browser implementations rather mm-hmm. than, than uh, uh, so we have a lot of ideas implemented in one browser, or maybe in two browsers. I would, I would love them uh, to be implemented uh, across all the browsers. That's the, the main problem with the current web uh, for me. But it's, it's so much better than it used to be that I cannot com- complain. No, well, the, um, the Web We Want survey was something done by, I don't know where Stephanie works, but Aaron definitely works for... Microsoft on the Edge team, and they asked developers to rank things they wanted. So, for example, there were things like most developers, 48% wanted accessibility tools front and center in dev tools. Only 1.6 said they want a source order viewer for rearranged content, for example. They also asked about what you want from browsers. 29% said the first choice was browsers to localize data like dates and numbers. 38% wanted browsers to automatically fix accessibility problems. 32% wanted a standard API for event throttling and debouncing. I'm not sure I know what debouncing is. Maybe it's to do with those uh, elements jumping out that we talked about first. But um, interestingly, from HTML and CSS, the runaway first choice, like 67%, was better HTML forms. After that, it was better justification with 12.5% saying it was their first choice. SVG to be fully stylable from SCSS, that was the first choice of 9.6%. And interestingly, the ability to flow content dynamically from one container to another using CSS was only the first choice of 8.6%. So that suggests to me that CSS regions isn't nearly as important as work on 
better form controls and certainly more stylable form controls. I don't really impressed by the results, to be honest. Imagine you would ask developers, would you like to have something like a grid layout five years ago? The native and great way of laying out uh, elements on the page. They would say, no, we have flex, flex box. We have mm-hmm. floats. We're good. But these days, we're all super happy that we have grid layout. The same applies to uh, like flowing uh, content from one tag to another. It's a brilliant idea. It's available in InDesign or PageMaker on mm-hmm. all those publishing tools for years, for decades even. And uh, it's it's super useful and it would be useful for the web as well. But it doesn't sound sexy. I think the only thing you're, you mentioned that's really important is uh, like um, having a SVG as the first class citizen mm-hmm. on the web because it's still lacking some features and it's still halfway there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Living on a prayer. Just this morning, I tried to include uh, external sprite uh, with SVG that contains uh, gradient. So basically, it's external symbol that I use inlined in the, in my HTML and it contains gradient and uh, uh, gradients in SVG should be defined in devs um, uh, tag but you cannot include devs into symbol so you have to put it uh, one level up and when it's one level up it doesn't render in Chrome and Safari and it, but it renders in Firefox so you cannot use external SVG with gradient only flat ones minor problem but yeah it it's there, there are hundreds of them. It's interesting you said that, though, because you, you said you didn't believe these numbers because web developers don't ask for useful things. They ask for sexy things. To me, the CSS region is a, a sexy thing, but few people ask for that. And better form controls is enormously dull and unsexy. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. but I, think, uh, I think the problem is that the, the, the level of noise in, in mm. such uh, in such polls is very high you, you should probably make the questions good enough or accurate enough so they it wouldn't uh, affect the answers or you should uh, you should rely on uh, empty inputs they would uh, where they would uh, type their own ideas or you should suggest something uh, yourself uh, instead of relying on, on user input but otherwise, if you see like uh, like sixty five or eighty percent of interest, it means something. Yeah. But in most cases, it's just a noise and it's just a random thoughts and it's just a, the actual wording of the question that probably doesn't look interesting to developers. So it's I don't I don't buy all the results, but I, I definitely see some trends and I I would really love to see forms improved. They already shipped it mm-hmm. uh, together with Chrome and Edge and other Chromium-based browsers, they'll get it as well. Yeah, maybe it depends on who you are. If you're practicing code every day, it's one thing. If you're teaching code, that's the other thing. If you're just, I don't know, a dreamer, you can dream of anything. If you're a designer, for example, you need some other things. So in your case, Bruce, forms, what else? When I was in Japan uh, last year at TPAC, I was bugging people from the CSS working group for something I've wanted now, I think since about 2011, 
which is the ability to style poetry and song lyrics properly on the web. Really? Because, okay, not everybody's interested in poetry, but there's a heck of a lot of song lyrics on the web. And the majority of them are marked up, usually with one verse or one stanza being a paragraph, and then using the BR tag for line breaks. And that's entirely legitimate because those line breaks are not decorative. They are there because that's, you know, either where the vocals stop or the author meant there to be a breath pause there. But what's what's there to be improved? Well, the trouble is, is that if you have long lines and lots of poetry does have long lines on a narrow screen, obviously the line wraps uh-huh. and you can't see whether the line has wrapped because the author put a line break there or because the browser put a library. There's a long-standing typographical convention, because I'm an English literature grad. I've got a 1911 book of pre-Shakespearean Elizabethan poetry. And for some reason, each page is two columns of text. And the typographical convention is if, because the column width has caused a line to break, the remainder of the line is justified right. So you can see that that is a line break caused by the constraints of the medium rather than authorial. And that matters because if you're an actor, those the authorial line breaks tend to be where you took a breath. So basically you want to align right uh, the, the line that's, that's uh, wrapped. Well, not necessarily align right. I want some ability to put something there because another typographical convention is to indent it slightly from the left. So I want the ability. And the browser knows where the first line is because if you do, you know, paragraph, colon, colon, first line and set it red Uh and then amend the width of the browser window, the amount of lineage that is colored red changes. So the browser knows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't get the opportunity to say, if you have broken the line, please either put this content before it or align it right or indent it left by 1M. And it doesn't matter because where the author put a, a line break is actually mm-hmm. part of the semantic of poetry. Yeah. I'm t- trying to figure out the way to, to solve it via CSS. So I'm not sure if uh, for the first line, pseudo element, text alignment and support it, but I would, I would go P text align right and P first line, text align left. So everything would be aligned right apart from the, the first line that would be aligned left, for example. But I don't think that alignment works in, in, in such pseudo elements. But what happens if the third line of the stanza is particularly wrong, so gets broken on a narrow screen? Well, it goes right as well. It's a a tricky one, but uh, luckily, of course, the CSS Working Group always say, don't bring us syntax, tell us your problem. So I've told them the problem, and they all went, oh, yeah, that's an interesting one. We should be able to fix that relatively easily. Like they've been saying for seven or eight bloody years. So um, <laughs> that's number one on your wish list, right? It's number zero on my wish list because it's basically secret cabal of computer sciences, if you like, big CSS, discriminating against those of us with an arts degree. All right. 
So uh, <laughs> come the end of COVID, CSS Working Group, I'm taking you to the Hague. <laughs> well, it's not a problem for drummers, you know. They ha- they don't have lyrics. Yes, but I'm talking about artists. Yeah, yeah. And there's yeah. no there's no art in drums, mate. It's just thrashing about. <laughs> yeah, we discussed in previous episodes. Yeah, we did. Yeah. I, I know my place. <laughs> <laughs> so, listeners, thank you very much for listening to. Uh, to me and Vadim who's come from the future to tell you all about stuff like he did with his masonry layout in 2013 I've come from the past to grumble about old fashioned things like poetry but there we are, the old and the new all wrapped together in one podcast, please tune in next time until then, stay safe, wash your hands, yep, see you soon cheers, bye bye Thank you.